Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. I am really excited about this podcast episode because my guest is Dawn Nickel. She's the co-founder of She Recovers and we go way back. We go back about eight years when I was in my first 20 days of trying to stop drinking. And Dawn actually was, and and this was my first time, um, I actually stopped for the last time five years ago. But I had found this online group of people who were going booze-free and mentioned that within 20 days of stopping, I was going to Victoria, BC um, on the Clipper from Seattle with my son, who was five at the time, maybe, and my husband, and I had never, ever traveled without drinking. Like I was kind of freaking out. And Don messaged me and was like, I live here. Can we go out for coffee and meet? And, you know, it was so crazy. You're, I will do your formal intro in just one second, Don, but seriously made my whole recovery path like easier. Oh, it was special. I remember it very well. 
It was. And I, you know, I had all those thoughts, which I'm sure women listening to this will think of like, oh my God, this is weird. I don't know this woman. I'm not sure I'm ready to quit forever. So like, yikes, do I really want to talk to another human being about this? And also like, what am I going to say to my husband? Like, he knows I don't (laughs) know anyone here. Like I hadn't talked to him about all the shit in my head. So I was like, how am I going to be like, hey, I might go out with this coffee for this woman. But Dawn picked me up in her car and drove me like a little tour of Victoria. And we went out for coffee at this cute little place and went to sit on a beach and watch the water and just talked. And you were so kind and so helpful. And now you're so big and in charge of this huge operation and you're known so well. And I can't believe that I got to meet you way back oh, in the day, just because you were kind. Well, it was it was a special day. It was a sunny day like today. And I'd give anything to go and sit on a log with you again today, I'll tell you. Oh my God. Nice to see you. Me too. Me too. So thank you for coming on. We are going to talk about She Recovers and more importantly, the guiding principles behind mm-hmm. She Recovers. Because for me, and I know for a lot of women, I initially, um, because it was what was suggested to me in early sobriety, went to some 12-step meetings. I went for about four months, didn't end up being my path. I know it was for you. I know it is for a lot of women, but I ended up, you know, was a member of She Recovers for years. I'm one of the early members of the Seattle Sharing Circle. Super love that group. Love those women. I've right. gone on many um, Salt Spring Island yoga retreats with Taryn. And I went to your big conference in LA. Can't wait to go to Mexico and Miami when it opens up. But yep. the principles are just so inclusive without labels allowing you to choose different paths. I mean, it is what I needed when I was ready to quit Mm -hmm. drinking and not ready to go a 12-step direction. Right. Yeah. I want to talk about all those because I love them. I did just become a She Recovers coach. Yes, you did. Which I'm (laughs) so excited about to be official. And I'll tell listeners, if they don't know you, I know many of them do a little bit about you. So Dr. Don Nickel is a respected thought leader in the women's recovery sphere, along with her daughter, Taryn Strong, who I love, who's actually been on this podcast to talk about yoga and essential oils for recovery. You're the founder of the She Recovers Foundation, which is a not-for-profit grassroots organization to inspire hope, reduce stigma, and empower women in or seeking recovery from substance abuse and or mental health challenges. And I know that one thing that you're super passionate about is we are all recovering from something. It's not just necessarily alcohol or drugs, which is so true. Yeah, alcohol. They, I mean, substances are just, they're our coping mechanism. They're more our solution than our problem in many ways, right? It's kind of what we've used. That's how we're hiding in, in a particular moment in our lives. Absolutely. Uh, we have to get underneath why we drink or do drugs as much as we do in the first place. Or why, even if we don't do a lot of drugs or drink a lot, you know, what is it that we're trying to numb out? Um, so yeah, our first intention and guiding principle is we're all recovering from something. Yeah. And I know that if you ask women, because I've been on the Salt Spring Island retreats, which are incredible and amazing and 
can't wait to go back. You know, you kind of ask us to fill out like, what are we recovering from? And of course, for me, it was alcohol. I quit drinking. That was big, but also anxiety. I know other women, you know, who I met there are recovering from a cancer diagnosis or treatment or from divorce or from death of a loved one or all the other things that just as human beings we go through in life. Yeah. Disordered eating, uh, love addiction, sex addiction, gambling, codependency, perfectionism, all of the things. And, you know, I guess for, for many of us, the truth of the matter is that underlying all of the things is often trauma or some sort of childhood emotional neglect. Trauma doesn't need to be a big, huge kind of violent traumatic episode in your life. Um, If your parents divorced when you were a child, if somebody in your family was really ill when you were a child, there's, um, if you're not familiar with the ACEs study, the adverse childhood effects experiences study, you know, that lists kind of um, risk factors for people like us who, and if we, we score, however high we score on the ACEs test, we'll maybe determine where we end up with regard to behavioral health, mental health and substance use issues and, and other either behaviors or substance dependencies. So yeah, you know, it's just, we, we are also much more alike than we are different. And that's the premise of the She Recovers Foundation, the She Recovers Movement and the She Recovers Intentions and Guiding Principles, right? This, we're just, we're all alike and just come along. If you are a person who's interested in personal development or healing or just in meeting other like-hearted, like-minded women, you're welcome. Like we're very inclusive and welcoming and we think it's really important that everybody has has a space to just be who they are and talk about the things that may not be easy to talk about in most spaces. We want to open that up so that people do feel yeah. like they can explore. You know, you know, just as you've seen on retreat and on our daily meetings, we host two daily meetings. A lot of the women and other non-binary individuals who identify with women's communities come along and they say, well, when I got here, I thought I had an alcohol problem or a cannabis problem or even a heroin problem or a love addiction problem. But the longer I stay around, they say, you know, the more I realize that really my main problem is low self-esteem and that was born out of my childhood. And I've just layered all these behaviors on top of that. So that's definitely uh, what we're most known for is this sense that we're all recovering from something and we don't have to recover in silos. So I know in, in my early recovery, which I started 34 years ago, it, I had to go to one 12 step program for addiction, another one for codependency, another one to, you know, for adult childhood of, of dysfunction and, who has time for 14 different programs because you have 14 issues, right? I really believe in de-siloing recovery so that we can just bring our whole selves to one space and uh, work our way out from there. And also we have a lot to learn from one another. So I can learn an awful lot from somebody who is a love addict mm-hmm. because she'll have had experiences that that mirror mine, maybe with a, a you know different focus, but or anybody recovering from grief. It's just, yeah, Absolutely. we're stronger together. That's another piece of one of our principles, right? And I just really, Sharon and I believe it. You're not alone. And in these recovery communities in She Recovers, I find that it is, which was funny for me, because I always had a lot of really close friends. I was way more honest with people in those groups than I ever was with some of my friends who I I saw often, but we always talked about work or how busy we were or the kids or, you know, just surface stuff. Whereas in the groups, I was like, I'm really angry. I'm really resentful. I have these fears. I'm physically uncomfortable, you know, like whatever it is. So just that honesty and having other people be like, Me too. I felt that it was in some of those groups that I was like, you guys, my doctor put me on Lexapro because I'm having all this anxiety and I feel like total garbage and I'm kind of freaking out. Is it going to get better? And they were like, 
you know, they answered me and messaged me and told me like, hold on, I felt that way too, this and that. And I'm not saying that anyone else, if they're not feeling good on Lexpro to hold on, but it, it gave me a lot of comfort. My husband had no idea. I didn't know if it was normal, but just to hear from like 15 women and, you know, to be able to get that kind of information, you know, of course it's anecdotal, but it was, God, it was comforting. I think that that's what, again, recovery is an invitation, right? And how we invite other women or, you know, other individuals to participate in their own recovery is by modeling our own uh, vulnerability. It's the same for all of us who come into recovery. Many of us, I think, declare that for the first time in my life, I started having real conversations about feelings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after a short period of time, you realize, oh, maybe I ended up the way I did, the issues that I do have, because I'd spent 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ignoring my feelings, not being given permission to talk about how I feel. So it's very contagious. I think when we hear other women open up and be honest about hard stuff, it takes a while for some of us before we can speak into it and, you know, speak up about our own experiences. And that's okay. There's no kind of timeline on when people start to spill their guts all over the place. But um, it is through the bravery and the example of others that we learn how to, it's, it's how we learn how to use our voice by hearing other women use theirs. And it's just so powerful. Casey, I know you know that. Yeah. And I love when you were talking about trauma and everybody's trauma is different. Like it wasn't until I went to therapy when I was like four months since giving up alcohol that my therapist explained to me, I was like, but nothing happened to me. I had a good life. I, my parents loved me. Nothing happened. And then she kind of explained to me like the concept of like big T, little T trauma, like, and, you know, whether or not that's the right phrase, like, oh, you know, you going to boarding school at 14, that's trauma, you moving every two years, that's trauma, your parents working all the time, and, you know, having housekeepers around like that, too. I mean, it all shaped reasons why when I drank, it felt really good and turned off my mind. And I didn't feel like I had to hustle for love or be worthy or whatever it was, right? Exactly. Yeah, we we kind of we do stay away from more recently, we stay away from the idea of big T, little T, okay. because it, it's just kind of different connotations. But you're right, the, the concept is the same. I remember getting into recovery and really digging deeply into therapy, because I was sure that I would have to uncover child sexual abuse to explain mm-hmm. where I had landed, because I had a really, really low bottom. And there had to be something like that. And you know, what I, I ended up uncovering was something not, it wasn't, that was not my experience. I did have um, sexual abuse in my teen years, but not as a young child, but I really got to shine a light on child, um, like emotional neglect yeah, and how, how very harmful that is for children and give myself permission to say, okay, you know, it, it was bad enough. That was bad enough. Yeah, Things that happened in my family, the things that I had inherited through the generations. I mean, it, it was enough of a package to create what happened to me. And, um, you know, Taryn and I, Taryn in particular, is really, really riveted by concepts of intergenerational trauma. So we've done a lot of exploration into the our, our lineage. And, you know, it just kind of becomes cumulative until somebody in the family like you or like I says, okay, it's going to stop here. And we're going to start unpacking this and it, we're going to change it for our children and our grandchildren as best we can. We can't yeah. dictate and control what's going to happen, but it really is about giving ourselves permission to tell our story. Our stories don't, we don't have to compare who's worse and who's not. Everything that we experienced is valid and, and how we recover from all of those experiences is valid too. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think you do change that as you move forward, Justin, you know, our parents did a a different job, hopefully sometimes better than than their parents did for them. I know I'm trying to do better for my kids than than what was modeled for me about even talking about mental health and talking about, you know, drinking and, you know, that not everyone needs to drink and that it is, by the way, addictive. And, you know, it's not harmless. And that, you know, the people who succumb down that path aren't different than everybody else. I know that that a while ago, I was sort of taking, I take anti-anxiety med and stuff. And uh, my son was like, what's that, mom? And I started to just be like, oh, it's nothing, whatever, vitamins. And then I stopped. He was like six or seven. I was like, okay, actually, I have anxiety and I take this medication for it and it makes me feel a lot better. And he was like, oh. You know what I mean? But it, Good, yeah. back in my grandmother's day, that would have been super shameful that you would never discuss. Yeah. Well, and you wouldn't have had those tools, right? We, we, oh we didn't God. have these um, pharmacological tools back then. Yeah. So thankfully we do. Yes. I'm yeah. definitely a strong proponent for everybody take their meds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I also love about She Recovers is the idea that we don't have to hit rock bottom to pursue recovery, any area of our lives, and you believe in early intervention. Will you talk to me a little bit about that and why that was important to you? Yeah, well, and it, it is so important. And, and it's, I think what, I think it is in large part what has enabled the recovery movement to become as great and as, as broad as it is, is this idea that, you know, we've moved away from the ideology that was really perpetuated in large part in 12-step recovery program. I am a member of a 12-step program. Um, I love 12-step recovery. I'm not not a lot involved in that program these days. I always say I've got enough going on with She Recovers, but I still consider myself uh, a member of a 12-step recovery group for drug addiction. And, you know, the idea was that you had to hit rock bottom. The, the language in those programs is jails, institutions, and death. I mean, that's where we go. Yes. And so for a lot of us who ended up, I mean, I was a person who should have been in jail, but never got busted, I did end up in mental institutions and nearly died by overdose many times. So I had a very low bottom. So that was my thinking. But in the last 10 years, and while we've been building this She Recovers movement, I've really witnessed that it's just not like that for everybody. You know, in some 12-step recovery programs, people say, you know, you're not ready. I remember so many, you're not ready. So like, okay, so I'm not ready. So I need to go back out and use more, drink more, take more heroin. And then when I come back, you'll have me here and help me because then I'll be ready. That never made sense to me in all the time that I was in the, in 12-step recovery. And so what I've seen in the last 10 years are women like you and, and so many of the women who I know through my 12-step, or sorry, through She Recovers, who are like kind of, at first I was like, who, who are these people that, I mean, they, and I, I tell this story over and over, but one woman early on at a retreat had said to me, shared, you know, I stopped drinking because one night I blacked out and I realized I had a serious, serious problem. And for her, that was a serious, serious problem. For me, I blacked out the first time I ever drank and every time after for 10 years. I also blacked out the first time I drank. (laughs) So, but, but I, and I remember thinking, wow, like there's, there's a, it's kind of like you can get off the merry-go-round long before you end up. Not that that's anything to be proud of. (laughs) 
No, no, no. So just kind of playing with that concept. And then as somebody, like I have a PhD in healthcare policy and uh, in the health world, I mean, everything is about prevention and early intervention. And so I just started putting together, you know, she recovers and all the work that I do is always an amalgamation of my experience, what I'm observing in the recovery community and my education and experience and professional work. So this concept of early intervention was something that we started talking about early on. And I think that's why, again, we drew a lot of people to our movement was because we were talking that language that you get, there are people who don't even, you don't even have to have any negative consequences to your substance use, or I'll use substance use because it's, this is the podcast for that. But you don't have to have had really negative outcomes from your drinking. But you, if you're asking yourself, like, what's it, I would say, what is it adding to your life? And if it's adding nothing, and you can see where there are some instances where it's taking away, where you can see or forecast because maybe of people in your family and the lineage, and you know from your own experience, maybe even when you were younger, that your drinking has it, there's a chance that it could go in the wrong direction or like in the direction towards greater dependency, and you make the decision to stop. I think that that is a brilliant idea. And so this, you know, the whole sober curious movement, the great drinking, all of these concepts that nobody would have even paid attention to 15, 20 years ago, because there would have been no air in the room allowed for that is really what I think is so remarkable. It's what's grown the movement. It's what made it more available to more people. Yeah. And it's it's saving women's lives and it's healing families and it's making a difference in communities. It's always just say like we're, we're in recovery from all the things yeah. and we're at different points along the spectrum, regardless of what it is. Some of us are like nearly hitting bottom and others are like just at the beginning. And we, so we need to be in recovery from all the things, recognize all of the points along the spectrum, and then offer as many opportunities for healing at each of those points as yeah. is humanly possible. So it's just, you know, it's, she recovers is all about more and more and more, just like my addiction was only it's about <laughs> more and more, more better and healthier things. Well, I know that when I first went, and this was actually when we first met eight years ago, you know, someone who I, I met, I thought was awesome on one of these groups. She was four months sober. She was going to AA. She invited me along and, you know, the women there were really, really nice. And I went for four months and but the whole time there was this like cognitive dissonance. Like I didn't like saying I'm Casey, I'm an alcoholic. I actually didn't necessarily believe that, or I didn't identify with that. I certainly didn't like it. And when yeah. I felt like I had to say it, or if I didn't and express doubts, cause I did start with a sponsor. She was like, you're in denial. And you know, the whole jails institutions death, I was like, but I don't necessarily believe that. And therefore, maybe I am not that bad. And therefore, maybe I can keep drinking, right. And so right. just the idea that like, you don't have to hit bottom if you're, you know, for me, if I was waking up in the middle of the night at 3am and feeling like total garbage and always wanting to open a bottle of wine and not remembering stuff at night, like that's bad enough to decide yeah. that I feel better without it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so. And you know that you're drinking at whatever stage you're at. It was progressing. I mean, that's oh God, one of the yes. things that, that yeah. 12 step recovery has right is it, it does progress. The elevator. And only so it doesn't down. stay the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, what I like to say about 12 step recovery is that it's literally saved millions and millions of lives. And it's such an important option. But it is just like it. And it's in terms of um, accessibility, 
Mm-hmm. It's the most accessible because it's everywhere. And it's it's free. the freest, so the yeah. cheapest. Yeah. And you, to be honest, like in terms of in my recovery, in, in the 12-step recovery for drug addiction, it's the most diverse. Like if yeah. you go to the um, meetings that I would go to if I went in the United States, you would see a lot of people of color. Yes. Um, so it's certainly something that is accessible and meaningful for a broader range of people that, you know, it's well, kind of I like- I have a ton of friends and I know we both do who- got sober in 12 step programs and absolutely love it. And I love the yeah. women in it. Um, yeah. So I love knowing that it's yeah. there, but I like how you say it's an option only because so much often in recovery, it's seen as the only option. Like I talk to doctors yeah. and therapists, they literally don't know anything else exists. Exactly. And I do think that that's what is why it's so important to talk about other modalities, because it is as widespread as it is, you and I know that it doesn't work for everything. But I love the other thing that I love about it is, it's kind of like just how underneath ourselves, we're all so much more alike. Yes. Recovery is a journey of self-awareness. It's a journey back to ourselves. And whether you do that using the 12 steps or yoga and meditation and essential oils and therapy and and all the other things, it's like the philosophy of recovery is the same. It's just packaged differently. It's packaged differently. And we get to kind of, we encourage people, I know we're not there yet, but that we must be supported to find and follow individualized pathways and patchworks of recovery means. I was just about to ask you about that. So yeah, let's talk. Yeah, because, and that means that, you know what, I do go to meetings. I usually go to meetings when I'm in Mexico, quite frankly, because I have time to do it there. And we go for taco. It's an early meeting at 530. And everybody goes for tacos afterwards. So who's not going to go to a meeting, or we have meetings on the beach. And at our retreats in Mexico, we have meetings at 630 in the morning before yoga. Okay, so I am signed up for the February. No, no, it got moved November, the week after Thanksgiving, Mexico retreat with like, some of my best friends from this Seattle group and and, um, a couple other women I know, cannot wait. Can you briefly tell us about that retreat? Because I just want to get excited. Sure. So all she recovers was in 2011. It wasn't even she recovers. It was just, I was writing a blog called Recovering Dawn. And then when I went back to work and I was off work because of workaholism. And when I went back to work, I knew I I couldn't blog every day. You you write. So you know that writing a blog takes a long, long time. So we switched over to Facebook. We started the She Recovers Facebook page. And then within a year decided we wanted to host a retreat, a yoga and recovery retreat, because Taryn's a yoga teacher, very talented, as you know. And we booked our first Um, She Recovers Yoga and Recovery Retreat in Tulum, Mexico in 2012. And it was so wonderful that we decided we wanted to do another one in 2013. We moved to a different venue. So we went to this place and it's called Playa Secreto. It's about 20 minutes um, from the Cancun airport. It's our own villa. It's a 10 room villa with our own private beach. Um, There's a a chef, a private chef who comes with the villa and his staff and then, you know, a cleaning staff and a grounds person and the most wonderful people like they're like a second family to me now and so we started um, retreating there in 2013 and our retreats are really about healing I mean as much as we pitch them as self-care and luxurious and everything else a lot of deep healing goes on at those retreats because you have 20 women in a total 20 or 21 women coming together and taking care you know like kind of being blessed by the sun and the good food and each other's company and the yoga. And so it's a journey inward. And it it really ends up being um, this incredible self-development kind of self-awareness exercise. Uh, There's always coaches there. So, you know, you're being led and, and, and supported by coaches. And I don't know. It's they're just magical until I can't really even describe it until you get there other than to say that the magic really is in the connection. And, uh, 
we sit on this beautiful veranda overlooking the ocean that's attached to the villa. We have breakfast and dinner there and lunch we have out on the patio by the pool. But one of the funniest things that happens is after breakfast, which is at right after yoga, so 7.30 yoga, 8.30 breakfast. And usually at 10, 10 or 10.30 every morning on retreat, I have to go out to the veranda and remind people to get out of your chairs and go to the beach. Mm-hmm. Because women are, they just get sucked into conversation, not sucked in, but like they just get so into conversations. And we've had just some remarkable times there. You know, Jean McCarthy, a dear friend of yours and mine from the Bubble Hour, has been on a lot of Mexico retreats. And she's one of the worst for keeping captivating and then keeping people at that kitchen table. So if Jean's on retreat, you know, for sure, you have to set the alarm to go and tell them to get off their butts and get moving and go for a walk and go swimming and do all the things they need to do. But it's just the connection. And I think because we're so well nourished and the yoga and, and people get to rest. And, you know, a lot of women in recovery who can afford, quite frankly, to go on retreats like this are tired women, right? Mm-hmm. We are business women or we're moms or we're, you know, partners or we're attracted to the concept of this retreat because we can see that we're going to do some deep healing and rest is a prerequisite for healing. So yeah, it's just magical. And I can't wait for you to experience. I can't it. wait either. Like I've been to Salt Spring twice and Mexico has been on my bucket list. The She Recovers Retreat. I absolutely love Terran's yoga. It's like amazing. And, you know, I had to build up to being like, can I go to like, it, you know, Salt Spring is lovely. It's a drive from here. Just the money, the time, the somehow telling my family yeah. I'm going to Mexico without them, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. feel like I deserve it. But, you know, I don't want to make anyone jealous who is not able to go on one of these retreats or is right. not ready to. Yeah. Um, but I always encourage the women I work with, like you need things to look forward to and you need to believe there are yeah. wonderful things out there for you to experience and enjoy that aren't in a bottle and you deserve to take care of yourself. And, you know, I, I'm not shy about this because I think it's so cool. In five years, I've saved $35,000 not poisoning my body with wine. And right. I take a yeah. decent part of that and reinvest it in stuff that I love doing instead. I love that. And you raise a very important point. I mean, the fact of the matter is that um, some of our offerings are not accessible for women in terms of the cost or the ability to travel or leave your family behind, all of those things. And that's why as a nonprofit um, charity now, we we formed a charity that when we received IRS confirmation of our tax-exempt status just a year ago in April. And that's why we're so busy trying to ensure that there are a wide range of offerings, right? So we have our free online meetings twice a day totally free, never going to charge for them. We don't have membership fees. Like this is, you know, this is so accessible. We have in-person, we're forming chapters and we have amazing women in communities like, like Seattle. And you can talk about that in a minute, if you'd like, where people are getting together at no cost, you know, eventually we'll go back to offering our workshops, which are usually sliding scale. And then there will be our conferences and our retreats, which are a higher ticket. What I can tell you is that when I got into recovery 34 years ago, I was a young mother with two kids leaving a domestic violence situation on welfare, had no money. And there was no way, you know, for years that I could have afforded to do any of the things that that I'm able to do now. I, I know women in our community who literally save for three years to go on a retreat. And they just prioritize it. And they do save the money that they would normally have spent on substances, which adds up so quickly. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and I'm always cautious too. Like, you know, because I hear women say, I'll never be able to do that. And the fact of the matter is you will be able to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. It may take a while. You know, your circumstances may have to shift somewhat. 
but we'll be doing them the for free a long gatherings time. Yeah. online and in person are amazing. Yeah. I mean, I know so many women who just adore them and they've made really good friends in them and they're so accessible. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a huge gift yeah. that you're giving to so many women, regardless of yeah. their And age. as we set up the chapters, it'll be easier for people to find each other, right? Yeah. And so right now, even with the pandemic, there are groups of women, some very small, like two or three or four who have been meeting outdoors, socially distanced, wearing masks, going on hikes, that type of thing. Others are a little larger, like 18 people in a barn that's, you know, <laughs> or not even a barn. It's just a, a, a barn roof, again, socially distanced and responsible. But it comes down to what I said about the retreats, that the key to the magic and healing of recovery is connection. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't cost, it doesn't have to cost money for you to connect with other like-hearted and like-minded women. Well, and connection is so huge because for so many of us, the fear is if I stop partying with my friends, if I stop going to happier, if I stop doing whatever, I'm going to have no friends and I will not have fun again. And nobody I know stops drinking or has an issue because I haven't talked about it with them. So I am the only one. And if I do have a problem, it puts me in this other category. And what I've found, and you do have to be a little bit brave, but not that brave. Like she recovers and other things make it really easy. I've found that A, I still have a ton of my friends who drink, um, who I knew before, who I'm still friends with. I don't go on the wine tasting weekends because that just wouldn't be any fun for me. And that's cool. But I was sort of the one driving all of that anyway. So neither here nor there. (laughs) But I also have met all these amazing, cool, smart, wonderful women who used to drink and now don't. And they are, you know, people that I completely relate to, connect with, love being with. And that's one of the things that's made this path actually fun and rewarding and nurturing and empowering. You know, like I love getting together with the She Recovers women here and hanging out with them and having real conversations. And, you know, to the point where my husband years ago was like, which group of friends is this? Is this your sober friends or is this your, you know, Seattle mom friends or your work friends? Because he's just like, they're all these groups. Yeah. And again, it just really does come down to the realness, right? The realness of the conversations, the the ability to, we always say, you know, like we don't do small talk in recovery. It's just, we don't know how to do it almost. It's kind of like somebody, we joke sometimes too, somebody sits down, hi, my name's so-and-so and and I, you know, I live in Seattle and where do you live? And, you know, within five minutes, well, I had an abortion and, you know, like whatever it is or my, it's just like, we just don't do small talk if we're in each other's company for very long. And, Again, I remember being early in recovery myself. And even though I was in 12-step recovery, listening to people talk about real things, talk about, even talk about things that had happened in their childhood. It was the first time in my life as, you know, the type of addicted personality I was, the only conversations I had with people I was hanging up, hanging out with were how loaded and stoned we'd gotten the night or the week before. And it was always just regurgitating all the using nightmares that we were participating in, right? And then to have these real conversations about feelings, mm-hmm. weird, couldn't do that for a long time in the beginning, and about how we got to be the way we are. Childhood, like, yeah. oh my gosh, I I yeah. never talked about my childhood with anybody yeah. until I got to recovery. Yeah. And it's just that, uh, just that common human understanding that we have all these shared experiences and well, we're not all exactly about that because those are all yeah. the reasons that we want to check out. And yeah. also it's really powerful because I think even with our good friends, like you don't want to show anyone 
um, the bad things, right? Because you're like, oh, they won't think I have my life together. They won't think that I'm, you know, at work, I know I was scared to tell any of my coworkers, even though they were friends that like, I was really, I was scared I was going to fuck up this project and I was terrified it wouldn't work. And, you know, I had tons of anxiety about this presentation because you want to look like you've got it all together and being able to share that a, oh my God, the burden off your shoulders, but also to realize that you can share your shit and people still like you. And by the way, they have their own shit, even though when I look at them, I think they look completely and totally together. Like that's cool. Yeah, there's this beautiful meme that I share and I don't remember the quote. I can never, I should have it because I love to share it, but I have to dig it up every time I want to. But it, it kind of talks about, um, you look across the room and you see this woman and she's, you just admire her and you think, oh my gosh, she's got it all together. And I just wish that I was more like her. And you're the, you're, you are the woman across the room for some somebody else. Too, oh my right? God. And it's, um, it's just, it's really powerful to think that we are that, right? We are examples. Yeah. Yeah. And we're so in our own head. You know, I actually have something on my vision board because I need to remind myself of it like constantly. It says, if you could see yourself just for a minute, the way everybody else sees you, you would cry because you're so fucking beautiful. And I'm just like, all right, I need to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so talk to me about the principle that is recovery is a journey to wholeness. And you need to take care of yourself, body, mind, emotions, and spirit. Because I know Taryn's yoga is a big part of this. And I'm not a yoga girl. And when I went there, like, it just amazed me how good it felt. And not just, not just physically, but like listening to her voice and like the words she said and the music and everything. Yeah, it's quite the package. For sure, you know, originally, I used to talk about this principle as being for sure that one of the strong Taryn principles, um, because she was so much about yoga. But even in Taryn's own recovery, this past many years, she has embraced this principle in a much broader way, right, where she really does. She's talking about embodiment, she's talking about healing the body. You know, if you know Taryn, she has very a lot, she does a lot of things in her recovery that I would never do. You know, she's done plant medicine, so it really is just about getting at that cellular level, like at, at our physical level and how important it is. Peyton, of course, has developed a beautiful embodiment practice, trauma-informed dance. So she oh recovers gosh, dance. So fun. And it, it just really is about, it, it is a whole kind of, it is a full circle journey in recovery. And it is something that it, when Taryn describes it, she says that when in early recovery, for in her early recovery, all that I had to offer her was therapy, which a lot of therapy, drug testing, all that type of thing, and 12-step recovery. And she was um, she was okay with being drug tested if it meant she could see her friends. And she was okay with therapy because it helped all of us. We went as a family. Uh, but she did not, like 12-step recovery didn't work for her. And it wasn't until a few years later that she found yoga and realized this is my recovery. This is where I can explore who I am and where I want to go. So it's just, again, it's an invitation to... Yeah. Think, you know, when I got into recovery, I, gosh, you know, it was like you go to 12 step meetings and that's all you did. And you go there and you drink coffee and you smoke cigarettes and, and you're going to be fine. You're going to be very healthy if you just do that. And, and, you know, I was healthier. That wasn't <laughs> the thing. So just that idea that we need to take sleep, like sleep is so important. Yeah. And, you know, it certainly is never about for she recovers. It's never about you need to be fit or you need to be thin or you need to be any of those things. You know, I always, 
you're, we are so fortunate to have in our life, our friend Ingrid, and who's helped us so much to understand more about body acceptance and, and all of those things. But it is about just treating our body as the vessel that we need it to be because it needs to carry us around. Yeah. Right. And so I know I, I've had to adjust some things now going into my seventh decade of life. Now I'm 61. Um, so minor adjustments here and there, but always paying attention to the, the kind of the whole picture. Well, and just paying attention to, you know, for me and for a lot of the women I work with, it's like, okay, I want to drink. And it's like, why? What are you feeling that you want to get rid of? What emotion are you not trying to feel? And it can be anything, including being really fucking tired, you know, and feeling anxious, feeling anxiety, feeling other things. And so really tuning into, like you said, your, your body, your mind, your emotions and your spirit and, you know, going a level deeper to like, okay, what am I feeling? And what are the other tools that I can use to make myself feel better? Because you do deserve to be nurtured. Yeah. And it's like, you know, mind, you want therapy. I think everyone (laughs) needs therapy. Spirit. I mean, everybody, some people don't resonate with the term spirituality. But really, for me, all that spirituality or spirituality can be as simple as knowing my true essence, honoring my true essence, you know, and also, I happen to believe that I have to kind of pay attention to the universe and to nature and to those things. So that's my spirituality more than anything, right? I, I I don't follow any particular spiritual path other than maybe nature and different things like that. Yeah. And so another thing that I love that's in your guiding principles, and there's a reason I became a coach through She Recovers, just because basically I love all of the things that you guys focus on is the idea of we focus on our strengths, not our defects. And this Mm -hmm. is how we change. I love strengths-based coaching um, because I think we're all so strong and have so much potential um, regardless of where we are. But tell me what that principle means to you and how She Recovers kind of explores it. Yeah. And that one, in a way it does come, that comes out in large part of my own experience early on in 12-step recovery before I really determined what 12-step recovery meant for me and made it my own, which is perfectly okay to do. But in the beginning, I just was, I mean, when I got into recovery, I was a disaster and I was, I felt like I was one big walking defect. So to be in a program where the focus was entirely on what, what I heard was, I heard when everybody talked about defects and I felt like that's why I belonged because that's me. I'm the defect. That's not what everybody was saying, but you know, you resonate, you go with where you think you are, what your energy is drawn to. And so it wasn't until I started doing therapy a few years into my recovery and I worked with a therapist who was, but what did you do right today? Well, what did you do well last week? Well, how are you, you know, what is good about what's happening? And I just really changed my way of thinking. And it had such a profound effect on me that it always stayed with me. So when it came time to, and also having had my own, like I did a a recovery coach training that took a year long and focused on strengths and positive psychology and all the things out there that that kind of are in the out there and easily accessible. It just made really sense. And I think that what that resonates for some women who may come from a 12-step recovery background, or they may still be in 12-step recovery, but it's just a reminder that, um, you know, we do need to focus on what we do well. And mm-hmm. and I just want to say, too, about 12-step recovery, I wrote an article, it's a blog post, and it's also, I think, on our podcast called Dear Women in 12-Step Recovery. And the premise of that is, I think that 12-step recovery is amazing and that we cannot throw it, we cannot get rid of it, we can't, you know, we can't turn our backs on it, uh, we can't 
promote it as the pathway for everybody because it isn't. And if we're going to be women staying in that program, there are some things that we can do better. And I think one of the things that I talk about is just the the idea that we need to remind people that they are not their defects, that the promise of them is far beyond what they might think about themselves when they first get into recovery. Yeah. Well, and not only that, even just by listening to this, by doing this work, regardless of whether you're sober or not sober, where you on the spectrum, like that is brave and courageous and a badass thing to do that 90% of people in this world never take a look at, whether it's the self-work, the self-examination, what's working for you, trying to change really ingrained beliefs and habits. That's good work. And you should be really proud of yourself for just doing that. Absolutely. And I think the other way that we utilize this um, principle is when in our views around abstinence. And in again, we're all in recovery from something. So it's not all about alcohol or substance use in our community. But those of us or those um, people who are in substance use recovery, we have a lot of people new in recovery who present in our Facebook group or on our calls. And, you know, they're I hear this so often. I was sober or I didn't smoke pot or I you know, didn't do cocaine for 90 days. And then last night I fucked up. And it's like the entire emphasis is on last night and fucking up. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, let's redirect to your strengths. I mean, 90 days. Are you freaking kidding me? When was the last time you had 90 days without your substance of choice? So it's just, you know, because we're not all about substance use, and even if we were, we're not all about abstinence, although that's my pathway. I know that that's your pathway. It's a, it, it works. It's really easy for me to do it's abstinence. It's easier it not, not to drink. for me to moderate, right? I, I had my period of moderation and harm reduction for the 10 years before I chose abstinence. It was yeah. not pretty. Um, but that doesn't mean that moderation doesn't work for others because I have seen it that it does. So that, you know, that's another, it's, it's kind of a, it's a strength-based approach, right? Count your wins. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I like and I know was a big deal for me was, you know, I was one of those people who, you know, met you, made a ton of really good connections online, like friends, met um, some friends in person, and then went back to drinking and went back to, you know, I think they call it the slow shuffle, but backwards, like I'm just going to start being quieter and not show up and give myself some distance so that when I drink, you know, whatever. But um, I drank for 22 months and I was on the BFB, which I've talked about is this secret sober Facebook group, which is where I met Dawn. I'll put the link to how to find it in the show notes. I was on there the whole time and not posting, but I felt a ton of fear and shame, including what you would think, by the way, coming back and saying, I'm trying again, and I'm on day two, and I'm on day five. And just, you know, because I had gotten so much love and support when I was sober for a year. And so I mean, that's real. And thank God I came back and did it and got over it. Because I wouldn't be here today, right? I needed people cheering me on on day five way more than if I'd gotten four months on my own again. You know, I yeah. needed it on day six. And the fact that you guys embraced me and didn't shame me and didn't say what the fuck's wrong with you, you know, like, thank God, right? They were just like, you're back, huddle in, yeah. you're, you know, jump in here. Thank, yeah. so excited to see you. Yeah, we didn't tell you what your solution was, right? You need to do this and you need to do that. And you need to no. And and I think that that's one of the most beautiful things that I see in our recovery community in the She Recovers Together Facebook group now. And it, 
I'm, I'm not in BFB as much anymore, but I do check in every once in a while because I love the people there. Um, is just this acceptance of where people are at and support. And I always think about, you know, if if back in the day, if I had been supported through the periods of time where I was trying to give up my substances, but not able to, who, who knows what would have happened, right? Yeah. So um, it really is about, we try to create a non-judgmental space for people to explore yeah. because it is, it's tr- it's only through love and acceptance and kindness when we are in pain that we are able to transform that pain. It's not when we're shamed. It's, shame does the opposite. Yeah. Shame doesn't work. And to some extent, I don't think fear works long-term, right? Um, I think that that what really helps is believing that you're going to be happier and healthier and your life is going to be better and looking forward to yeah. that. I would say, the- I would say that fear does work for some people. I mean, yeah. for some people that, that, that it does. And, and because I think there is such a thing as a healthy fear. And again, I would be referring to, you know, people who are maybe using drugs intravenously have relapsed and overdosed in the past. And so they have a healthy, you know, they, they think that they can use a healthy fear. Yeah to keep them motivated to stay away. So, yeah. um, but I, I, yeah, I, I, actually, I, I do agree with that because I have a healthy fear of like, I know what's going to happen if I drink again. And I know how hard it is to get another day one that stick and how shitty I feel when I'm in the drinking cycle. I was, uh, what I was thinking about is the idea of if you're not hitting rock bottom, the idea of fear, like, Hey, if you drink it's jails institution or death being like, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I totally agree with you. And also fear can't be the only motivator, right? You know, you have to have more than just a a fear of what might happen if things go wrong. You have to have the desire for all the things that can go right. And you have to have all the things that you have to have. So yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I'm with you. We're on the same page. I know. I, well, we, I mean, I totally love your perspective. So I know I um, agree with you. And by the way, in that guide where I talk about how to access the BFB, my, I also talk about She Recovers. And so I'll put that in the show notes, but it's got all the information on both and how to join them. Um, yeah. And if you know, these days, if you share, there's, there's a link that goes to our web page, um, yeah. to the together online page, and people can access the meetings right from there now. So it's a lot easier to find our meetings than it was Perfect. a few months ago. Well, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and really to thank you, is in your guiding principles, you talk about when we're ready, we recover out loud so that women who are struggling can find us and join our movement. And I feel like that's something that you and Taryn and and Jean McCarthy and so many women out there have done so beautifully. Yeah. Well, and you. Hello. <laughs> well, I mean, that's <laughs> right? one of the reasons I started this podcast, because in the beginning, yeah. I didn't know anyone who used to yeah. drink like I did and decided to stop and l- said, life is better on the other side, you know? Yeah. So I think the key phrase in that intention of guiding principle is when we are ready. Yes. Uh, when we're ready, we recover out loud so that women who are struggling can find and join our movement. And the other really important thing to know about that, because that's pretty intimidating for people who, if they're new in recovery, like, oh my God, I have to tell everybody. Um, so not only do you wait until you're ready to tell somebody, but you don't have to tell everybody. Recovering out loud can mean that some someday at work, somebody's going to be, you're going to recognize that, oh my goodness, this person is suffering with what I suffered with. And I know it without a doubt. And you're going to be able to go up to that person and say, you know, I see you struggling. And I'm wondering if you want to talk about 
you know, or, or maybe something happened and you like, I know that you had a DUI or whatever it is. I, do you want to talk about it? I happen to have had some experience with that or somebody in your family is struggling. And again, you have experience at showing them, like you said, Casey, on the other side, right? That there's another side of this. And so it might mean that you recover out loud to one person one day somewhere down the road. There's no pressure or expectation. Yeah. For those of us who have really big mouths and like to use them and, you know, have been in recovery for many decades or many, many years and are just really like, we don't need everybody out there doing what we're doing. I love that there's a proliferation of podcasts and websites and groups. I think it's wonderful. There's, there's so much need that there's never going to be enough to address all the need. But the recovering out loud piece is, is, is yours to determine how or if you want to do it. What I will say is that if some of us don't, if we don't start recovering out loud more, more people will die. Because the only way people get help is when they see that there's a solution. And, you know, being told you must go to treatment or you must recover is has never been very effective for most people. It's really when we see somebody else and we think, oh, wow, that is an amazing person. I wish I was more like her or him or them. And then we realize that, oh, they are just like me and they have the same issue as I did. And so how do I get there? Right. And I think that that's when we've got that kind of the promise of hope that you can heal, too. And you, you, we only see that when we see other people setting the example. And we need as many people as diverse as possible to recover out loud because we have a She Recovers Support for Black, Indigenous, Indigenous and Women of Color group. And I can tell you that the members of that group, I don't belong to that group for obvious reasons, but I know and love many of the members there. And they need to see women and non-binary individuals like them recover in order to know that it's possible. Um, healthcare professionals, another group that we have, they need to see other nurses and doctors and therapists in recovery. So it's like, it's such a big project that we're all participating in, that if you are a person who is comfortable and ready to recover out loud, I think in the next few months here, our foundation is going to be doing a little bit more work around how we do that, like what, you know, kind of giving people some guidance around that. You don't probably, if you stopped using cocaine on Tuesday, you don't necessarily want to run into your HR office and say, hey, I'm in recovery from cocaine. I'd like to give a talk to the next staff meeting. Um, you know, the, the when we're ready thing, sometimes somebody else needs to determine when you're ready to recover out loud. And I, I laugh because that was my experience before I'd even gone into treatment. Like in the few days before I went to treatment in 1987 for the first time, I offered my services to my physician and said, if you ever need anybody to talk about giving up cocaine, I'm here. And like, I had given it up <laughs> two days previous, right? So it's a really important principle for us. I know you've been to our conferences. Uh, You know, we've had two, one in New York City and one in um, LA, and we're going to Miami next April. And one of the most beautiful things about our conferences is you walk into a ballroom with five or 600 women who are recovering out loud to each other, right? And it's the energy and you see that what recovery can look like. It's pretty powerful. Um, Because recovery is powerful. Our stories are powerful. Our examples are powerful. And the way that we are going to, the only way we're going to smash the stigma of behavioral health issues is to show that we do recover because we do. Yeah. And I mean, in the beginning, just to, just to reiterate what you said, I mean, all I told anyone, including my husband, like my husband didn't know I had a sober coach. My husband didn't know I was in the secret Facebook group. I don't even remember what I told him about what, how I met you, like who knows, friend, friend of a friend, um, that was that I was trying to do a health challenge to get in shape, like for a hundred days with no alcohol. Like that was literally all I told anyone. And yeah. then you know, then I said, I'm going to keep going till six months. 
And it wasn't until I think I hit a year that I started saying to people, yeah, I used to drink a lot, but I quit because I feel better. And that was me recovering out loud, just like I no longer drink. Um, You know, it wasn't a long time, probably till I became an official sober coach um, that I told more of my story. And even then I asked my husband, because he's the head of a private middle school, I was like, is this okay for you? And I don't know yeah. what I would have done if he said no, you know what I mean? Like, he's pretty cool. But he was like, of course, like, it's your story. Anyone who's going to judge me because my wife quit drinking, like, whatever, I don't want them in my life. And, yes. you know, that again, is the strength based thing. Like, it's yeah. badass to quit drinking. Like, who the fuck would, you know, if you think that's bad, like, that's pretty crazy yeah. that a harmful substance um, letting that go like anything else is something to be judged. So agree, like you don't, you know, and Brene Brown talks about like who you let into the arena, who deserves yes. your vulnerability and picking that carefully. So, yeah. uh, but I do, you know, the reason I say that is because if you had not reached out to me in the beginning and shared your story, I don't know that I'd be here eight years later. So truly wow. I'm getting emotional, but you are very, very special in my life and in my story. And I'm so grateful for you. Oh, don't just start that. I've been crying all week. I've been crying for a week. Um, Casey, I love what you're doing. You know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about, the reason that I got into recovery was because I was a mom who was deathly addicted and had been for before my children and then trying to manage my addiction through the early years of their life. And I know without a doubt that, um, Having children saved my life. Having children is what motivated me. So any any mom in recovery these days, it's recovering out loud to show other moms that it's possible. Um, being a mom is a hard job, and it was a hard job before 2020. It's so much harder now. And I just think that we need we need examples like you. We really do. We need all the examples, right? We need uh, yeah. We need a diverse array of people showing us that we can recover. So we're we're extremely excited about the new groups that we're going to be starting for the She Recovers Foundation as well, including an LGBTQ group and a mood and anxiety disorder group and eating mm-hmm. disorder group. And I mean, there's 25 groups, so I'm not going to name them all. But oh as God. time goes on and we're we have the bandwidth to increase what we're doing, we will hopefully be able to be an example to as many people as possible. Uh, because we love recovery. We love recovery. We love everybody who joins us in recovery and we need absolutely everybody's experience. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. It has been wonderful to talk to you. And in the show notes, I will put all the links so you'll know exactly how to find She Recovers, the online meetings, the groups. They're wonderful. Um, So thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Casey. And I'm glad that um, I know we kept saying someday, I would come on the podcast and I'm glad that we finally made the time to do it, that I finally made the time to do it. I appreciate you and all that you're doing and I can't wait to hug you in person. Oh, I can't wait either. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit Hello Someday coaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. 
We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.